0: Welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fun Calibre. Today, we're focusing our attention on India, one of the most compelling growth stories for investors over the next 10 years.
1: I'm Chris Saleh, and today we're joined by Mike Sell, manager of the elite-rated Alcati Indian Subcontinent Fund. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. You're welcome. Nice to be here. Um, let's start with something simple. So obviously, the fund looks to tap into India's growth story. Could you maybe tell our listeners who know little or nothing about India, just about that growth story, what's happening in the region and sort of the, the sort of size of the opportunity
0: in India. Great, great. Thanks, Chris. India has one of the most exciting growth stories anywhere on the planet over the next three, five and 10 years. And that comes down firstly due to the demographics. India has a population of 1.4 billion people. That is growing at 1% every year and the average age of the population is pretty young at 28.4 years. So that young, growing, youthful population is driving the growth that we see in India. In addition from that, we see a couple of other trends. People shifting from the villages into the towns and the cities, increasing urbanization from a relatively low level. We're also seeing, particularly over the last few years, a shift from the informal or the black economy towards the formal, organized economy. That's great for the companies that we invest in uh, as they're taking market share from the mum and pop, unorganized sector. And also we've been seeing a shift over many years now from very old fashioned, bureaucratic, state-owned companies towards a much more thriving and dynamic private sector. These reasons combined are why India is that such amazing opportunity that we see.
1: You mentioned those old-style companies to a thriving dynamic sector. Let's go straight into it. Maybe just give us a
0: couple of examples in the portfolio of of those companies. Sure. So the first one would be Lemon Tree Hotels. Think of it a bit like a sort of Premier Inn type uh, of, of, of India. And Lemon Tree benefits from a number of factors. Firstly, people have more leisure time. They're going away in India themselves more to spend time on vacation. So that's an important trend. That's obviously being accelerated as we come out of COVID with people wanting to uh, go out and and have experiences. Secondly, people are moving away from the family-run, unbranded bed and breakfasts towards an organized hotel chain with a consistent level of service and quality throughout india so it remains very very affordable the number of hotel rooms in india is a fraction of that of china let alone somewhere like the uk and the us and there's very little new supply coming up obviously everything's been delayed because of of covid and therefore you have long term structural domestic drivers and it's that domestic bit that's critical this isn't about tourists coming in there's some of that but it's about The Indian middle class spending more time in India on vacations, combined with a mismatch of supply and demand. Hence, we see very strong growth opportunities. Also, focus on the environmental and social side is hugely important. And Lemon Tree have set targets for reducing their environmental impact, as well as for employing more diversity. In the workforce. That's something that we're really pleased about. So that's one example. Um, a second example would be Vmart, which is a retailer in the smaller towns and cities. So people, instead of shopping in a in a, a one-store chain or a market stall, are going to stores like Vmart, where, again, the consistency of the quality uh, is, is good. It's a low price point, They have advantages because of their scale to be able to to purchase in in, in bulk. You can use your credit card there, air conditions, longer opening hours. And there is very little competition in in this space. So, again, with people having uh, rising incomes, uh, people moving into the organized sector from the unorganized sector, and just that overall population growth is hugely positive for first movers like VMart. Uh, And these are the kind of names that are on the smaller uh, side of of the Indian market, but where we see the biggest growth. As I think I've hopefully highlighted, India is changing dramatically. And it's these new, smaller, private sector companies that really encapsulate that growth opportunity. And it's where we focus our portfolio.
1: I was going to say one of the things you talk about is you, obviously you focus on the domestic Indian growth story, which can be sort of different to the to the wider growth story. I mean, that helps you pull out some of those hidden gems, perhaps as
0: well that some of some others may not see. Absolutely right. Um, India, in terms of the export side, is coming from a very low base. It is beginning to rise, and India is world leader in, in in software, and we have some of that in the portfolio to cap, cap to encapsulate some of the outsourcing trends that we're seeing in the West as people want to cut costs and also want to move to cloud-based IT systems. But you're absolutely right. The vast majority of our portfolio focuses on that domestic growth story. And that is the advantage of India versus many, many other countries. The growth is coming from within and is much less linked to what we're seeing in developed markets.
1: Um, Let's turn to one particular sector within the region. Let's let's talk about financials, an area you've been positive on. Could you maybe give us a bit more insight into that?
0: Yeah. Um, So we see real value in the financial sector. Uh, Firstly, you have an improving economy. You have political stability as well. Interest rates are rising, but only gradually. And inflation is relatively well controlled. Now, as we move over the next 12 months, we're expecting GDP growth of uh, above 7%, obviously much, much higher than what we're going to see in the UK or Europe or, or the States. And the banks are well positioned to capture both margin improvements as well as faster lending growth as we see that very uncorrelated Indian economic cycle pick up. Now, The valuations also uh, are relatively low versus other sectors because investors uh, are taking a wait and see approach. But having invested in India for over 25 years, we very much look forward to what's going to happen rather than waiting for it to appear. And we can see this economic recovery and therefore the banks are a mispriced opportunity in our portfolios, which we're taking full advantage of.
1: Um, So if we take a step back and just just look at the the world as a whole at the moment, could you maybe give us an idea of what role you believe India has in a wider investment portfolio
0: and sort of what you feel are the benefits? Yeah, India is different to many other countries uh, because firstly, uh, its size And secondly, the growth comes from within. It's about the demographics. It's about the shift from the unorganized to the organized economy. It's about the rising levels of urbanization. It isn't at this moment about exporting huge amounts of consumer electronics to the West, where obviously we're seeing a slowdown in growth, which is going to feed through. India is not about that. It's about its own domestic story. That means when you're looking at your overall investments, it has very different drivers of growth than most other things that you will own. It's very uncorrelated. And that's why we think uh, it deserves a particular place for the long-term investor. Uh, You have your positions in the UK, in the States, elsewhere in Asia. But this gives you something you're probably not getting to a large extent elsewhere. And we've seen over the last five or 10 years, more and more people are beginning to have a a dedicated allocation to India. And we think that's a trend that's going to continue as other people see the really, really great and unique story that is that market.
1: Um, I I want to touch on a couple of others. Firstly, is valuations now. India is not the cheapest market in the world, but there are reasons for that, which I would like you to go into, but also maybe explain to investors why long-term valuations aren't perhaps the the most important thing to, well, they're important, but they're they're not enough of a reason to not consider India, why the long-term story is so strong that that they should back this
0: for, you know, five, 10 years and beyond. Absolutely. Now, if you look at valuations of the Indian market over the last 20 years, it has never, ever been cheap. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason for that is that you're paying not for the next one or two years growth. You're paying for the next five, 10 years growth due to those demographics we talked about. Remember, no other country in the world has or ever will have such good demographic because nowhere else is big enough. And so that's why valuations have always been higher than somewhere like Korea. Also governance in India is much higher than than we see in Korea, which also deserves a, a higher valuation. Now, these high valuation levels don't preclude being able to make very, very strong returns in the market. And we've seen that over recent years as well, that India's been an amazing performer. For for investors. So we have to look at it in that long term context, and we're paying for the growth that we see over that extended period. It must be said that India is not a a quick trade, it's something that you need to to own for an extended period. Perhaps the the one fly in the ointment at the
1: moment is inflation and, particularly, um, high oil prices and the threat that has to India as an importer. Could you maybe? Talk to us about that and the worries you may have over that or how you see that playing out for
0: India. Yeah, two of the main drivers of inflation in India are food prices and oil. Now, India can feed itself, um, which is a change from a few decades ago. And the harvests have been good for a couple of years now. And the monsoons that are happening currently also are looking OK this year. So the food price inflation element is actually OK. However, oil obviously is, uh, is being ramped up as, as it is elsewhere in the world. That has fed through to inflation, but inflation is around 7%. And that's where we are expected to be later in the year actually lower than we see in the uk because there's other offsetting things i just mentioned so it does give a headwind in terms of consumer spending and overall inflation we are seeing interest rates rise but it's not enough to derail the economy also when it comes to the current account deficits India does export more than it did previously. And so whilst, again, this is acting as a headwind, it no longer is such a severe headwind uh, than it has been previously. And given uh, Modi and India's uh, commitments on increasing their use of renewable energy to meet uh, their carbon uh, reduction targets over the coming years, the dependence of India on oil will diminish further as they ramp up wind and solar so this is something that we think is going to ease further so to to summarize yes it is a headwind as it is for many many countries but actually less of a headwind for india than previously and certainly less of a headwind than we've seen in other countries including those in the west you mentioned prime
1: minister there obviously um India, perhaps, is slightly different to some of its peers in terms of the, the state of its politics. Could you maybe just touch on that and also some of the stuff that's been achieved by
0: Modi in the past few years and the benefits that's had to the economy? When Modi became prime minister a few years ago, we were quite excited because his track record as the chief minister of Gujarat showed very much that he was a reformer and invested heavily in modernisation and infrastructure. And uh, we've been satisfied that he's applied those Uh, principles to uh, the the country as a whole. So we have seen elements of reform, such as a unified tax system, uh, a lot of spending on infrastructure, some labour reform. Uh, We would hope to see more before the next election comes up in a couple of years. Uh, But he's done an awful lot, to be fair to him. Now, his his popularity remains very, very high. And uh, the recent state elections, he did okay better than people expected. And that's been the trend with Modi. He tends to do much better in elections than people expect. That's partly helped by his track record, um, infrastructure, development, growth. But also the opposition, the Congress Party, are in a uh, very uh, big amount of disarray. And so they're very, very weak currently. So, given where we are now, and obviously uh, the, ele- the next national elections a couple of years away, and a lot of things can change, but he looks set fair to win another term, which will be a further catalyst for the market when it comes. It brings that sort of level of stability that perhaps isn't so
1: well so, sort of common in the region. It, it's, it's another sort of you know string to the bow of
0: India's sort of attraction. Absolutely. And India's not had a period of political stability like this for some time. Um, And so that's great for investor confidence. It's great for the country making the long-term decisions that it needs to do for development. So the stability that Modi has brought and will continue to bring is another pillar for the investment case in our view. Okay. Um,
1: Just lastly, I want to talk about sustainability, which is a big part of the fund, but also Alcati as a business. I believe you donate a minimum of 10% of revenue to charitable projects in the region. Could you maybe explain a bit more about the foundation, the role it plays at Alcati, and also give us an example of a project?
0: Absolutely. So sustainability is multifaceted for us here at Alcati. Firstly, we only invest in companies that meet our criteria on environmental, social and governance issues. So we rule out a whole chunk of companies that don't meet that. We won't invest in them. Secondly, um, the greenhouse gas intensity and the water intensity of our portfolio is less than that of the Indian market as a whole. And that's something that we will maintain. But thirdly, coming to your question, uh, through the Equity Foundation, we donate 10% of our revenue to uh, social enterprises in the areas that we work on. Now, why do we do that? Well, even if you have the best run, most uh, environmental, social and governance focused companies anywhere, there are always segments of society that get left behind by business or by governments. And so we want to support those to give those people a, a leg up into the formal economy and returning something. Uh, into the areas that we invest in and this comes out of our alquity uh, revenues not out of the funds per se um, so i'd like to give you maybe just one example of this now in india um, when you go to a temple or a mosque you take flowers with you as an offering and what typically happens at the end of the day is that these are then thrown away into the river wherever it may be causing pollution so one social enterprise that we supported is called FOOL. And what FOOL do is they take these flowers and they make uh, non-polluting incense sticks from them, which they then sell. So this has two great things. Firstly, you're removing pollution that otherwise would be there. And secondly, you're employing people who perhaps otherwise wouldn't have a job in the formal economy. They're disadvantaged due to their family situation, whatever it may be, and you're giving them uh, a national insurance number, uh, a proper wage, et cetera. And so this is a a great end in itself into giving these people who've been left behind society uh, a chance to enter the real economy. We then complete the circle by actually meeting with the beneficiaries of these projects and discussing with them their aspirations, uh, their consumer habits, which then influences uh, our portfolio positioning as well so not only are we doing something that we're very proud of it also helps us make better investment decisions and i believe we're 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 pretty unique in terms of this business model which is something that we've always done at alquity since we were founded a number of years ago that's great mike thank you for talking to us about india today great thank you The Equity Indian Subcontinent Fund is a unique offering as its domestic focus often sees the team look past the larger companies in the index and invest in businesses which tend to be overlooked. To learn more about the Equity Indian Subcontinent Fund, visit our website fundcaliber.com and don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Calibre's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Calibre's research team only.